Well, we are in a series going through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be doing that throughout the summer. Last week, we kind of started it off, and one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews is really asking the question, who is Jesus? And so last week, we introduced that, and we started to talk about that, and in chapter one of the book of Hebrews, it starts, by, starts that conversation by saying, Jesus is greater than the angels. You know, sometimes maybe we think of like kind of the heavenly beings and all of these other things that God did create that we can't see with our eyes. And down throughout the ages, some people have kind of lumped Jesus into that category. One of those created heavenly beings that's beyond us. But the scripture in Hebrews 1 says, no, Jesus is not that Jesus was there from the beginning. Jesus was not created in the same way that the angels were created. Jesus is of the same substance of God. And it's a really important point to say, who is Jesus? And so chapter one kind of elevates Jesus and says, this is who Jesus was. Jesus is God who came to earth. And in chapter two, it kind of gives us the other side of the equation. Whenever people really kind of approach Christianity, that's the question we all have to answer and figure out is, who is Jesus? It's really the foundation and the pillar of our faith. And, um, and people kind of swing back and forth to, to two uh, errors. You know, maybe thinking that Jesus was, uh, you know, he was really, he was just a human and thinking he's not like the angels or not like a heavenly being or not a God figure. He was a human being, somebody here on earth. And that's one extreme. But the other extreme would be to say he wasn't human at all. And chapter two kind of digs into that. That Jesus was human. That Jesus had flesh and blood. That Jesus was a person that came to earth. And, and many people cringe at that idea. And in fact, one of the early pro, uh, uh, groups that like uh, contrasted Christianity said Jesus couldn't have been human because... You know, he did all these amazing things. God can't be human like us. That's kind of weird. That's kind of gross. You know, humans are kind of dirty and disgusting and have problems and all this stuff. God can't be like that. And so there was people that said Jesus wasn't actually human. He was just appeared to be human. And, and in some ways, you know, like when we think about it, uh, when we think about our God, we don't want a picture of our God having any kind of weakness or limitation or anything like that. If you were writing a story about like a superhero, you would not emphasize like kind of those mundane character traits. You would say, you know what, they can fly and they can do this and they have superpowers. And we would refer, we would prefer to think of Jesus more like that like super duper Jesus but in the scripture it talks about he was human he was flesh and blood he was born of a, a, another human being and how do we deal with that and does it feel like Jesus because he was that does it make him weak does it make our God weak in any way and that's been a struggle that people have had and so 
The question is then, because the scripture is very clear that Jesus was a human, then we have to ask our, the question, why? Why? Why did he do that? Why did he put himself in that situation to be a human being that walked among us like we, you know, and have the faults and limitations of humanity? Uh, you know, a body that, that grows old and has pain and all of these things. Why would God put himself in that situation? It seems like a weak position. And so uh, that's what chapter 2 of Hebrews addresses and, and asks the question, why was Jesus human? Let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 2. And um, it says this, and it kind of does wrap up and kind of connect chapter 1 to chapter 2. Again, last week, if you weren't here, chapter 1 says Jesus was greater than the angels. Jesus is a spiritual heavenly being, but not created like the angels were created. And it says this in verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment... How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see anything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and though whom everything exists, should be made the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I. And the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not by angels, it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
For this reason, he is to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So lots of stuff to get into here, and I know it's, it's kind of wordy, and, and the author of Hebrews often, he makes references to all these Old Testament pictures, and the reason he does that is because he's convincing and trying to explain to many of the Hebrew people who Jesus is. Because the Hebrew people, the um, Jewish people, were looking for the Messiah, and many of them did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And this book is kind of written to say, look, are all of these things that we saw in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the life and person of Jesus. And so Hebrews references over and over the Old Testament and different things in the Old Testament. But this is, is kind of, why was Jesus human? This is, this is the picture that it's saying. It's talking about, yeah, that there was at the beginning of this chapter, it says, there was signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit. So there was supernatural things that accompanied Jesus to show us this was unique and this was different. And, and Jesus was, you know, you know, all these things happened to demonstrate his godliness. But it goes into right after that, his, he's, he was made fully, fully human. Why? The first thing that it talks about, and it talks about it in several places in the chapter, is that Jesus' humanity was something that was really a gift to humans. It was something that was really a demonstration. It's something that is appropriately... Uh, you know, every Christmas we celebrate and think about kind of the gift of Christmas. Because when Jesus came and Jesus showed up, he demonstrated something profound. He demonstrated how much or what lengths he would go to to be with us, to, to, to walk among us, to identify with us in a way. You know, it's, it, it's an incredible length to go to. And so it's talking about how, in a way, he was made lower than the angels for that period of time. Even though chapter 1 tells us he's greater than the angels. He's not, you can't call him an angel. He's way greater than that. But for a period of time, he was willing to be put like in a place lower than the angels. He was willing to, to embody human flesh and go through this. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go through all of these things and feel what death felt like. And the reason for that is, you know, the, the kind of identification. That's something that all of us need to remind ourselves of regularly because all of us deal with suffering. All of us deal with pain. There's so many times that you, you get frustrated, right? That like, you know, something isn't working right. I, uh, I, I got a chance yesterday to pull some weeds for a couple of hours, you know, and I was like, hey, this is kind of nice. You know, I kind of have kind of a desk job. I do, you know, when I work at the school, I'm, I'm on my feet and I'm out and about quite a bit. So I get a little bit of exercise. But, you know, my daily life is not like kind of the manual labor type stuff. I was like, this is nice. 
refreshing. You know, get a, get out and do some do some kind of like manual labor. You know, get get some blisters, be out in the sun, like go out and do that. And I'm I'm just kind of trying to talk myself into this a little bit. And for you know, 15, 20 minutes, that was a great idea. It felt great. And then after a little while, I'm like, I am an old man. My back is hurting me. You know, and I'm like, oh, my knee. My son was there with me. I'm like, Titus, come help. You know, and, and all these things. And then after a while, I'm like, yeah, I, I could do that for about two hours every, uh, a couple of times a year. But I, I, I'm glad that I don't do this every single day. And there, there's times when we're very aware Maybe it's at a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's when we're feeling kind of those aches and pains. Maybe it's as we're aging. Maybe it's, you know, even we had those prayer requests earlier about people whose health is failing. And we come to a point where we're like, we have to deal with the, the limitations and the sufferings that we will face in this human body. And we all have to deal with that at one point or another to different degrees. And there's so many times that, that like the, when you have a pain, when you have a physical thing, there's very few other things that you can focus on because that kind of takes priority, that feeling. And the scripture tells us that, yes, Jesus knew that, and he suffered, and he felt that pain, and he felt those, the, those moments of limitation in a way. And, and th that is a unique picture that we shouldn't run past very quickly. That is a very unique picture that we need to remember. And of course, we reflect on that during Christmas season uh, every year. But it's something we need to keep close to us, especially when we're in moments of struggle, pain, physical you know, difficulties, or wh wh whatever comes in our life. Do we have to recognize that the God of the universe went through those things as a picture of, of love, as a demonstration of love? He went through that. He walked through that. He's not like this picture of like a, a political figure or an important CEO or something that shows up where everybody's kind of working hard and takes a picture and like rubs a little dirt on their face just to pretend like they did a little bit of work and then they take off. That, that, that's not like the picture of God. The picture of God is right there, right among us, walking through these things, dealing with and, and, and understanding fully what we're going through. I'm so glad that God is gracious with me when I have my moments where I'm not 100% spiritual about how I feel about what's going on in my life. Anybody else been in those moments before? A little bit, you know, maybe a little whiny, maybe a little bit like grumbly. And there's moments I have to stop and I have to pause and I have to say, okay, God, you've given me lots of things, and I need to, like, stop complaining. But there are those moments that are understandably times where we look at God and we say, why am I going through this moment? It's not pleasant. And that is an incredible picture that we need to remember. An incredible thing that identifies and explains lots of things in this earth. We do look 
at all the injustice around us, pain and suffering, and we do look to God and say, God, why? And there is this picture that we have to remember. It's not a perfect explanation of everything, but the picture we have to remember is God is not disengaged from this. God is involved, and God is walking amongst us, and God, God understands the suffering. And so... There's an identification piece that, that we can really identify that God knows and understands our pain. I think God identifies with us, but I think that picture and image, we just, is crystal clear when we understand that Jesus suffered, that Jesus uh, put himself in that place. Um, a second thing that, that Hebrews chapter 2 talks about is the real mission of Jesus talks about the salvation piece. It talks about the reason that Jesus became human was to save us. And it's interesting the correlation and the pictures that, that, that are given to us in the book of Hebrews and in other places in Scripture. Is that we understand when we look at the whole picture of the Bible that the Bible tells us that sin enters the world through human choice, through human rebellion. That sin enters the world, and even in Romans it talks about how sin entered through the world through one man, Adam, and is, and is paid for through one man, Jesus, the second Adam, so to speak. And in the scripture, in verse 17, it talks about right here, for this reason... He made, uh, he, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he may make atonement for the sins of the people. And this is a beautiful, incredible picture that God gives us. That sin equals death. The wages of sin is death. And that Christ is the fulfillment of that atonement. That it was that sacrificial, perfect uh, sacrifice, Jesus Christ, that could only make atonement for our sins. We look back and we see kind of how that, this was set up in the scripture. And how it was portrayed all throughout the Old Testament. That when people sinned, they would take a lamb and they would take a perfect lamb, one without defect. And they would take it, and this was a true sacrifice. This is a part of their livelihood. And they would present it before the priest who would make the petition on their behalf. And they would offer it up as a sacrifice before God saying, I understand that the wages of my sin is this death, this atonement, this sacrifice upon my behalf. And as we get into the book of Hebrews, there's going to be a lot of talk that talks about how Jesus is that high priest and how it's all the fulfillment of the things in the Old Testament. But the picture here is says it is only with that human sacrifice that humanity that got into this mess can truly be forgiven and atoned for. And so it's that sacrifice, that one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, man's one man's sin. Uh, sin entered the world through one man, and through one man's death, that perfect atonement, uh, salvation is 
available and is offered. The human sin required that human sacrifice. And so Jesus' humanity is unique and in a way that puts him in a position to save humanity uniquely. For him to uniquely be that sacrifice. And so that's the correlation that Hebrews 2 makes. A third thing that it talks about is this. is It says that Jesus was an incredible example. In verse 18 it says this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted. It kind of makes our mind go back to uh, the book of Matthew. Before Jesus would kind of have his public ministry, he had this season of fasting in the wilderness. And again, it's a picture of something fulfilled in the Old Testament where, you know, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert. Jesus goes for 40 days in the desert in isolation, and he prays and he fasts to prepare for the ministry that he's going to do, to prepare what he's what he's going to do. And it says in that encounter, he is encountered by Satan, the devil. And he's tempted on three different in three different ways. And it's it's interesting because Jesus does miraculous things when he's on earth. Uh you know, over and over in different ways to demonstrate his deity. But in that moment, he does not. In that moment, he doesn't do anything miraculous to deal with the temptation that he faces. And I think this was really particular. And we see in these verses, there was a reason for that. That Jesus was there and he was facing temptation, facing things that all of us do. Facing the opportunity to to follow a different path. And on each occasion, how he responds is he quotes scripture. And, and he withstands and he, he, he endures that temptation and he moves on. And then another temptation comes and he, he quotes scripture. And, and uh, he resists that temptation. And then a third time, it happens again. You know, it would have been possible, I really do believe, Jesus could have just been like, zap. He could have done like, and that's kind of the move we would, we would maybe prefer. It's kind of like, I, here's how I kind of think about it. It's kind of, um, you know, Master Yoda in Star Wars. You know, he has, he, you know, they all have their, their little lightsabers and they use those. But Master Yoda has like elite uh, Jedi skills. And so Master Yoda can just shoot like fire beams out of his fingers, you know? And so, like, you think, you know, you know, it's like level one, you use the little uh, lightsaber, but level two, you shoot beams out of your fingers. You, I mean, Jesus is, you know, level a million, okay? I mean, and you think, you know, in that moment, the temptation comes, and it's kind of like, pew, and it just zaps it out of the air. And that's kind of the way that sometimes we even think about it. Think about God. God, when we say our prayers, God, just zap it out of the air. You know, just solve it. Just deal with it. Just handle it. And that's kind of how sometimes we pray. You know, we're like, like I want, I want some serious miracles. Like, like some really cool Star Warsy miracles. That's, that's what I want in my life right now. And... 
God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that when he's facing temptation. Instead, he does something that every single one of us can do. He does something that every single one of us can do when we're facing this in a similar situation. That there's temptations that we know we're going to face. And he quotes scriptures to say, no, I know the truth. I know what God has revealed about that. I know that that's a path that I don't want to go down. And so this is what I'm standing firm on. And this is the path that I'm going to follow. And he says that. What a great model for us. And that's what the scripture says right here. What a great example for us. That when we're dealing with the struggles and temptations that inevitably all of us will face, you know, rely and trust on the revelation of God to combat those things that will get in our way. We understand that these temptations are always things that are perverting the truth. It's always something that is a lie. Even we look back to those first temptations of Adam and Eve. You know, uh, is it, the, the scripture tells us the picture was, you know, eat of this fruit and you'll never, you, you know what? You'll never die and you'll know everything like God knows everything. But it was a perversion of truth. There was a kernel of truth in that. That it was like their eyes would be open, but their eyes would be open to sin. Their eyes would be open to death. And they would, be, um, they would harm their relationship with God. And inevitably, the consequence of that would be death. Isn't that how sin works in each and every one of our lives? Is that there's things that we say, you know, maybe we just do mental gymnastics to kind of get around what, what is really going on. We say, you know, in this situation, it's okay for me to misrepresent myself because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that, like, I don't hurt anybody else's feelings. And, you know what, I don't want to, I, you know, it would just be better if I told a lie in this situation because it would just... It would just make everything go better and smoother. I'm not, you know, I'm not a liar. I just, I'm just not going to tell the truth in this situation because it's better. And it will, and the scripture tells us, you know what? You shouldn't lie. That, you know what? You should be a person of truth. You know, these are the things that kind of get manipulated and twisted. And, and it kind of... Uh, you know, it gets turned in a direction where we can justify our actions easily. And sometimes when we do it time and time again, it gets easier and easier to justify our actions. When Jesus, Jesus combats the temptation with the truth of God's revelation. And he says, you know what? This is what is true. And he combats the lie with the truth. And what an incredible example for us. What an incredible picture for us. And we're so thankful that, like, that, you know what, maybe it would have been cool if there were some Jedi moves that took place in that moment. But he gave us a pattern that all of us can follow. He gave us an example of what we should aspire to and what we should look to and how we should rely on God's strength and God's truth in those times of suffering, temptation, trial, difficulty follow the pattern of jesus and that's really our aim 
all throughout Scripture, it was really, it's really hard to get a grasp and fully to understand God. And people struggled with that. And people still struggle with that. But having a picture, having a, an image of God walking on earth, having an image of that life that we're aspiring to, things get a little bit simpler and easier. And we have that in Jesus' life. He struggled. He suffered. He dealt with temptation. And he overcame. And we have this example. In every area of your life, and if you're thinking about maybe some of those temptations that you face, or some of those struggles that you face, follow the example of Jesus. Confront lies with the truth. Confront it with the, the truth that is revealed here in Scripture. And the big truth that we're dealing with in the whole book of Hebrews is Jesus Christ is God revealed to us. That's the big truth. It's a, the big, big truth. That once that's settled, some things start to come into place. And things in our life that maybe are unclear sometimes be clear, are clear. And so if you struggle with different things, start with the truth that has been revealed through the Scripture. If, the, if, there's, if there's areas in your life where you're struggling, start with that big truth. Jesus came to earth. Jesus died. Jesus offers salvation for my sins. That should give us some peace. That should give us some direction in our life. That should give us some hope in our life. So start with that big truth. But I would say as well, as we look at the example of Jesus, it needs to filter down even to other aspects of our life. And if there's something that you struggle with consistently over and over, start getting more like specific truths that can help you with that. Whenever you're dealing with these lies or these deceptions or these things that are going to lead you astray, remember and remind yourself of the truth. I'll tell you, there's, there, there's something I hear in people over and over and over in our culture. Like, people start to believe things that are just patently false, and it affects their life in so many profound ways. I've heard so many people talk about themselves as if they are worthless. And we understand with the truths of Scripture and the big truth that Jesus Christ came to earth to walk among us because he loves us that much. We can understand that is completely and totally false. And if we start to have these thoughts, even subconsciously sometimes, or we start to walk around and act like this, like, I'm a worthless person. I have no meaning in life. If we start to have some of those thoughts, sometimes, whether you feel it or not, you need to combat that lie with the truth. And you need to, you need to know, you need, sometimes you just need to take a time out, and you need to stop and you say, you know what, I'm thinking this thought in my head right now. And that's not true. And I need to remember the truth. And the truth will set you free. That's what the scripture tells us. That's what Jesus said. And, and, and follow Jesus' examples in any of these areas in your life. If you start to think, and these are some of the thoughts that we have in our culture and our time, it's like, you know what? I got no money, nothing. We need to pause and stop, say, no. God gave us everything we need, 
And we actually, uh, our needs are taken care of. And God has taken care of us in a profound way. And the scripture even talks about, you know what? Don't worry about those things. God will take care of you. And we need to pause and, and not have such a reaction against some of these other things. Because we combat a lie with the truth. If there's any other uh, temptation that you face and you know you're going to face on a regular basis, my advice to you is memorize scripture to combat that lie. And when that moment comes, and it will come again, combat the lie with the truth of Scripture. And do exactly what Jesus did. It's pretty incredible. And it's something that maybe we know, but we need to be reminded of. And that's what Hebrews chapter 2 does. Is it says, this is why Jesus was fully human. This is why Jesus came to earth. He came to identify and relate to us so we can settle and crystal clear, know in our mind that God loves us and cares about us and is involved. Jesus, why did Jesus come to earth? He came to earth to save us, to be that human sacrifice. And then, as it says, Jesus came to earth to give us that example that we can follow in his footsteps and also live pattern our life after his life. It is a wonderful gift that we need to remember. We need to remember that the humanity of Christ is an incredible gift to us, is an incredible message to us. And we need to thank God, the, the God of the universe, yes, is 100% God, but also became human for us. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these reminders. Thank you for this scripture in Hebrews chapter 2. Thank you that you came to earth to demonstrate all of these things to us. God, I know there's times that we fall into temptation, that we struggle, that we're consumed by our pain, our difficulties, the temptations that we face. God, there's times where we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and we're like, are you even there? But then we have this picture. And God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for what you demonstrated by coming to earth. So even though people down throughout the ages have struggled and wrestled with and been confused by the fact that Jesus, you were human. God, we thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in that way. 
Help us not to forget when we're going through trial and temptations. And God, help us to follow your example, your pattern, to help us in our lives. I invite you right now to just offer your own prayers. Be appropriate just to say thank you to God. Thank you for the God of the universe that came and put on human flesh. It'd also be appropriate if there's an area of your life that you're struggling with, whether it be a physical struggle or a temptation for you to remember the picture that Jesus gave us and cry out for help. Christ came to save. Christ came to help us. Christ came to give us an example to follow. Cry out to him right now.